Today we're going to be uh, continuing where we left off uh, last week. Uh, we started a new series entitled, This is What We Do. This is what we do. I want you to think about this. Uh, there are things that we just do naturally. We, how many of you are breathing right now? How many of you know you ain't thinking about that? You just kind of just do it. It's just what you do. You get up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you do your hair, you know, or at least I hope you know you do, or that's a good practice. Maybe this is just a wake-up call, the Lord is speaking to you, and all you leave with today is do your hair, brush your teeth. I'm just kidding. I'm just having fun with you. But my point is this, that there are things that we all naturally do. You breathe, you eat, you work, you take care of your body, uh, you check on the children, you do your homework. Uh, you get that paper done for that economics class, for that professor that you have to get in, uh, whatever it is. And in the same way, I want you to hear what I'm saying here. There are some things that we should do as believers that are meant to become second nature. There are some things that as believers we should know to just do because this is what we do. And so last week we, uh, we, we dug in and we were looking at how what we do is we worship God. Well, this week, we're going to be uh, taking it a step further. But before we do that, I want to share just a, a, a memory with you. I remember when my mom, uh, you know, some of you who've been around for a while, you go, wow, he talks about his mom a lot. Let me tell you, I met Jesus through my mother. I saw Jesus before I ever heard of him in my mother. And when she came to know the Lord, I was still young. Uh, it wasn't what she said about Jesus that made an impact on me. It was the life that she led in response to Jesus in her life that introduced me to Jesus. People today are not looking to hear about Jesus. They want to meet him. You are his hands. You are his feet. Say amen to that. Amen. Right? amen. We are his hands and feet. And so uh, my mom, uh, she raised six of us. My mom came to this country uh, by herself. She immigrated, you know, and she had a real rough time getting here and all that. But she got here, and then I came along. I was born. She had four younger uh, daughters who she left in El Salvador. And um, the plan became, well, I've got this son, so through him I'm going to bring all my other children. And that process materialized over a couple of years. And I remember we lived in this one-bedroom apartment in Brooklyn, Greenpoint and DeKalb Avenue in Bushwick, Brooklyn, if you know anything about it. We lived on that block right there, right? And so uh, my mom, that was our beginnings, and my mom was always a giver. She was always generous. You remember, I don't know if any of you have ever had this experience, but there was a time, at least in the city anyway, where they gave these big blocks of cheese, right? In a cardboard box, right? And then they gave you a big can of peanut butter, right? And so I remember those days because my mother wasn't stupid. My mother had five kids. And she would say, each one of you, go get on the line. Get a block of cheese, get peanut butter. She would buy the bread, and hey, we had some food. And so, yeah, some of you, you've been there. You understand what I'm talking about, right? But my point is this, that even when we were going through those tough times, I remember one time we were all online, and my mother was online, and there was this lady who, I guess she got to the line too late or whatever. Um, and for us, it was, it was a no-brainer because it was right across the street on the corner. So, so we always got cheese and peanut butter. Uh, but in, in, in this particular day, for whatever reason, this woman wasn't able to get something. And you could tell that you know, she had a bunch of kids, and you could tell it wasn't, she was going through a tough time. And my mother says to my sisters and me, 
She says, she, she, she said, you, 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 and you, give her your cheese. You, 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 and you, give her the peanut butter. And so we stood with one bottle, one can of peanut butter, and we stood with one can, uh, one, one block of cheese. Now, you got to understand how important that cheese and peanut butter was to us. It was six of us, including my mother, and one can of peanut butter and one block of cheese wasn't enough, right? And so what I realized, what I'm, the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because I used to think that my mother was just, I don't even know if this is right. I, I used to think that it was silly the way she would do it. I used to think that it made no sense, that it was dumb to do that because that, mean, that meant less for us. That meant she had to somehow scrounge some extra hours from a job that wasn't given to her when she was a seamstress sewing in the, the fashion district um, in the early 80s, late 70s. Um, but now that I think back, and I was, as I was preparing for this sermon, I just kept reflecting on my mom. and I was like, you know, my mother wasn't dumb. She was generous. She, she, didn't, she didn't give. She lived generously. And so today, I want to give you the big idea. This is what we do. And I want to just preface this by saying that this is in no means a ploy to get you to give more, to come out of your pocket after... So we are not collecting a second offering. We're not having a campaign for something. I just want to talk to you from the heart of God because we must remember this, that the one that gave us this word is the greatest giver of all. He's the greatest giver of all. He is the most generous. So here's today's big idea. We live generously. This is what we do. We live generously. We don't give generously. We live generously, right? So the average believer today will take opportunity to give generously on occasion. But the truth is, as I was saying, that we're not called to give generously. We're called to live generously. And that's in every area of our lives. That's with our time. That's with our finances. That's with our talents. That's with our service to the kingdom. That's with our service to others. That's in our marriages, in our relationships, um, in our homes, in our workplaces, Ladies and gentlemen, there is no greater testament to who God is than when we live generously. If I could just make a bold statement, um, and it's bold because I don't know that I've ever heard this. We're most, we, we are most like God when we live generously. We're most like God because that's who God is. God doesn't... Uh, God giving isn't a function of his character. It's who he is. And so for us as believers who are made in his image and in his likeness, we have to understand something. That we're called to be just like Christ because we are just like Christ. Because we're made in his image, because we're redeemed. And so I'm completely chucking my notes at this point. <laughs> just being honest with you. Um, but I'm not even paying attention to it, but I want us to understand something, ladies and gentlemen. We give because he gave. We live generously because he exists generously. That's who God is. So if, there's, if, if I could just be honest and call it what it is, 
Let's just call it what it is, right? The one thing, there's something that gets in the way of living generously. And I understand that this is a topic that for some people it rubs them the wrong way. It, it makes them uneasy, right? Um, and if it makes you uneasy, I, I'm, the, the goal here is not to offend. It's not even to make you uneasy. It's simply to point you back to the truth of God's word. Amen. All right? But if there's one thing that makes us uneasy is this whole idea of generosity. It, it can have that effect on us. But I, I question why. Why does it make us uncomfortable? Why does it uh, rub us the wrong way? Why can it be one of those areas where it's like, well, let's not really talk about that. I'd rather overlook that part of the Word of God. We can't do that. If we're going to take the Word of God, then we have to take it completely because it's the whole Word of God. And, but there's this one thing that gets in the way of truly being able to live generously, and it's one word. It's mine. Mine. It's my time. It's my finances. It's my resources. It's my schedule. It's my kids. It's my this. It's my that. And we come up with all these my, 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 my. And I wonder if God sometimes is saying, oh my, they just don't get what my word says. They don't see that there's a greater purpose. There's a greater plan. The problem with us as believers thinking uh, that mine uh, trumps what God's word said is this, that we no longer exist for ourselves. We exist for God. There's no such thing as my time. Time is in your hands to manage. But God has given us the time. God has given us the breath of life. God has given us our talents, our gifts. God has equipped us and given us the ability to function and excel in our workplaces, in our homes. God has, he's the source of everything. See, when we become believers, a transformation happens, but this mind has to catch up and be renewed. And we have to renew our minds and understand that it is no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. Right? So most people who say they live generously, they say so because they give something. They give their time at some point. They give of their talents. They give a gift. They, they, they give of their resources, of their finances. They, they do something that is charitable at some point in their lives. But there, as we're going to see, uh, there's a difference. See, giving and being generous are two different things. Giving and being generous are completely two different things. They're two different things. And so for the believer, being generous, hear this now, for us as children of God, being generous is centered around a thrill and a joy to let God do what he wants to do through us. To allow God to uh, uh, convey the impact that he wants to make, not just in our lives, but in the lives of others. So let's, let's widen the scope here for a moment. Some things to consider just about us as Americans today, right? Most Americans today think, uh, don't think they're rich, and we are. Most Americans today, we think we're generous, and if I could just be frank and transparent, we're not. When we compare ourselves amongst ourselves in this country, 
it's, it's natural sometimes to not feel rich because there's always somebody who's got more, right? And so we go, no, I'm, I don't got it, right? I'm not rich. But when we compare ourselves amongst the majority of the world today, we're indeed rich. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. Today, many of you are going to get into a, an invention called a car, right? Some of you are going to drive it. Some of you are going to be a passenger on it, right? Some of you may catch a bus, whatever. You're, you're going to access a vehicle, and this vehicle is going to take you to your place of residence. But before you get to your residence, you're going you're gonna to pass by 15, 20 restaurants minimum before you get to the one that you want to go eat to because you, that's what you choose to eat today. And when you sit there, if you're feeling a little frugal, you'll say, I'll just have a glass of water. And you'll have all the water you want. And you'll look at a menu and this menu will have tons of options for you to pick from right and even if you're operating according to a budget you'll have multiple options according to that budget and then after you leave this place where you had all these choices and you chose what you wanted to eat and you drank as many cups of water or soda or whatever that you want then you drive home and when you get home you go up this little driveway and you reach to your visor on your car, you push this little button, and for some of you, this door opens up to a house. And you're thinking I'm talking about your house. No, I'm talking about the house that you have for your car. And, and for some of you, maybe you've got two and three houses for your car. Because you have cars. And, you, and, and some of you, you have so much stuff in your house that you've transferred stuff into the house for your car. And so I want us to think about all this. Now, here's the kicker. Some of you, some of us, because I'm, myself is included, I'm not exclusive here. I'm, I'm included in this process, right? We're looking at us just in general. Some of us have, don't just have clothes. We don't just have a closet. We have stacks, like racks of clothes, right? And I guarantee you that at least one person here today looked in that closet and said, I don't have anything to wear. <laughs> Let me say this to you. We are truly blessed. We are truly blessed. And we are rich. And yet, most of us, if we're honest, don't consider ourselves that way. We don't see it that way. The sad thing is that not only do, uh, uh, do we believe that we aren't rich when we are, but we believe that we're generous, and by and large, the question is, are we really? Are we really living generously? See, I've never met a believer that didn't have a desire to live generously. I've never met a believer that didn't have a desire to live generously. I've met believers who, who this is, this is kind of where they've come from, um, Man, if I only had more, right? And I want you to hear something in that statement. Let me show you an example. This is something that I kind of just came up with, so it's rough. And I did this in PowerPoint and transported here, so please don't mind the atrocity of, what, of this. But I want to introduce you to something I call the I can't cycle. It's the belief that what I have is not enough to live generously. So here's how it works. God 
eyes. Listen, the Bible says that he reigns upon the believer and the unbeliever. That he provide. God doesn't just provide for the believer. He provides for all mankind. All mankind, whether they know it or not. And so here's how this cycle works. God supplies, right? And the moment that God supplies, because I believe I don't have enough, I can't, here's what it looks like. We consume. And so it's, I need it for this, and I got to do this, and I got to do that. So it just becomes about consumption. But then it transcends into a, a mentality that says, I lack. So I've already consumed what God's provided, so now I lack. I'm lacking. I don't have. I don't have. I don't have. Which leads us to fear. And so we live in fear. I'll never have enough. I can't make it. I can't do more. I want to do more, but I can't. And so we live in this cycle, and here's the beauty of it, that God still supplies. But here's the breakdown. We still have a mentality that says, precious. Oh, my, my precious. You get it, right? Lord of the Rings. Whatever that guy's name is, right? If you don't know, go check out the movie. You'll understand what I'm saying. Right? We just, we consume and consume and consume. And the result is that we learn and adopt a mentality and a lifestyle of fear, which leads only to a mentality and a lifestyle of consumption. Let me show you from Scripture why that's a defective mentality. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It says this. It says, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Now, listen closely. The reason why the Bible says that we must all decide in our hearts how much to give is because we all have the ability to live generously. We all have that ability. We all do. But it depends upon what we sow, right? And so, verse 8, I'm, I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse 7. It says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. So I want us to consider something here. And for those of you that have been around for a while, you've heard me say this from the pulpit. If you feel at any given point pressured or compelled to give here, not that that's how we do things here because we don't, but if you ever feel that way, don't give it keep it. If you struggle with this, keep it. But what about the ministry? God provides for our needs. God provides. I'm telling you right now, God provides. I don't worry. We're not here every week going, how precious. How, how much came in the offering this week? How, how much more do we have? Oh my God, we're sh- I don't even care about that. I don't worry about that. God provides. So we're to do it with a cheerful heart. We're to do it cheerfully. And the promise is that God provides generously. He provides for us and gives us the ability to, for our needs to be met. And plenty enough, the Bible says, 
to share with others. As the scriptures say, verse 9, they share freely and give generous, generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest, watch this, of generosity in you. Why does God provide? So that there can be a harvest of generosity in us. Hey, put it, put it this way. We live to give. We're created to live generously. I didn't say that, by the way. Scripture's showing us that. Verse 11 goes on to say, Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always, how many times? Always be generous. That was weak. How many times? Always. Always. Always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met. And they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Watch what happens when we live generously. It meets needs and it produces. Watch the harvest that it produces unto the Lord. Praise. It points people back to God. See, believers, we're different. Believers live generously. And I'm going to tell you why believers are different. Because whether you believe it or not and whether you live it or not, the truth is this, we're all, we are different because we are the seeds for God to release generosity. What we did yesterday in the community, honestly, it's not that big a deal at the surface level. We put up a, a, a canopy, we gave out popcorn, we gave out waters, we gave out juices, we talked to people, we shared the word, we prayed for some people, we connected with people, we encouraged people, we laughed with people, we took pictures with people, and you go, well, sounds like what anybody else was doing out there. No, it wasn't. What happened out there was a bunch of people gave their time. All of you put your resources behind something like that. We didn't get a cheesy Batman suit. We called a cinema production company in Schenectady and had it shipped. We rented it from them. By the way, they don't even rent them. Just told them what we're doing. And said, so, you know, let me, talk to, let me talk to Brian. I'll get back to you. We, we'll do it for you. And we didn't pay peanuts either. You didn't pay peanuts. But listen, when you live generously, cost is the last thing you think about. You think about the kingdom, right? So in verses 8 and 10, we see something. We see that God provides plenty for us to share with others, right? And so I want to show you another cycle. And this is the generous living cycle. And this is just, again, the graphic isn't great, but let's put it up. Um, I want you to see how a believer cycle works. God supplies, and we give. We give. And watch what happens when we give. God multiplies. God multiplies what we give. And in that multiplication, not only is it multiplied unto others, it's multiplied unto us. And watch what happens as it's multiplied. Our faith grows. 
What are you talking about, Pastor Jose? How does faith factor into this? Well, Lord, your word is true. And here's what it does. Not only does it grow our faith to live generously, but it grows our faith in other areas of our faith walk. It's interesting, but Jesus once said this. He says, if you can't do the least of these things, and here's what's interesting. He says, least of these things in the kingdom. And here's what he was talking about. Money. He calls the least of these things in the kingdom money. I'm going to just leave that right there. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But listen, for the believer, this is what it looks like. We live generously. God multiplies it. Our faith grows. Beautiful. Next step to that, God still supplies. And because he supplies, we give generously. And guess what happens? It's multiplied more. And our faith grows more. And God still supplies. Here's the thing. He's supplying for the person who believes I don't have enough. And he's supplying for the person who believes I have more than enough. So for the next couple of moments that I have here, I want to just draw your attention real quickly to a story in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. And I wanna, I'm want i just going to just jump right into it uh, for the sake of time because I have very little time and we have communion today. So we are going to go over just a little bit over 10 o'clock but for the sake of communion. Everybody all right with that? Yes. Good. All right. We're, we're in the right house then. Verse 8, 1 Kings 17, it says, Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This is Elijah, by the way, the prophet Elijah. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Remember that statement. And so he arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And so she said, As the Lord your God lives... I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterward make some for yourself and your son for thus says the Lord God of Israel the bin of flour shall not be used up nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth and so she went away and did according to the word of Elijah and she and and he and her household ate for many days the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. So I want us to get a picture here. Elijah's the prophet of God. In that day, that was a big deal. That was like the Holy Spirit showing up. This is the man that spoke on behalf of God. And so this is Elijah, and he shows up, and at this time of meeting uh, with this widow, there's a severe drought, which, by the way, happened because Elijah, who was authorized by God, had declared there's going to be a drought of rain for the next three years. So Elijah's the culprit of it, right? God has empowered him to do it. And so here's, here's what's going on. Um, there's a drought, uh, and, and 
at, after the start of this drought, God instructed Elijah to go to a region where there was a flowing brook of water, as we just read. And he told him, stay there because he would send ravens to feed him daily, right? And there was water to draw from the brook. But eventually, that brook dries up. And so Elijah's lacking. And God says to him, I have commanded a widow. A widow. Now, let's pause right there for a moment and consider what this is saying. A widow, according to what we see from biblical history, right, and what it teaches us, is one whose husband has passed away. We understand that, right? But according to Jewish culture in the times, a widow was supposed to be taken care of by her family. And so what we understand by implication when we read this is that she had no family. How do we know that? Because she's gathering her own sticks for her and her son. She has no family. In other words, she's destitute. And she's preparing to die, the Bible tells us. Now what's interesting is this, that God chooses a widow. One who was at her very last. A little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. That's all she's got. If anyone could say, I don't have enough, it's her. And yet, God chooses her. Now, I want to draw your attention to something. Because notice that the Bible says in verse 9, that God said to him, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. But when we read the story, and Elijah shows up, she has no idea about providing for him. And so that word commanded there is interesting because what it really means in the, li in the, literal, in, in the literal language is this. Uh, let me get my notes here because I, I want to read this to you as I wrote it. That word commanded means to lay a charge upon, to give charge over, to appoint to. And so what's really happened here is not that God gave her audible instructions because if that was the case, then we would see that in the scripture. Instead, what we see is that she was equipped to live generously. God apportioned to her the ability to be generous. And what did it call for? She had to use what she had. See, when we think about living generously, we compare ourselves to people who have exorbitant amount of money. But that's not it at all. Living generously is being generous from where you are, from what God has apportioned to you. And th the thing is, to truly live generously, the first thing we do, the first thing we do, and I didn't say this, we saw it in Scripture, is we give. We give. And if the best ground you sow into first is the kingdom. I make no apologies for that, by the way, for saying that. I make no apologies for that. That's what the Word says. The Word of God says that. And so we got to really consider this. Because Elijah shows up and she knows who Elijah is. She knows he's the man of God because she says, your God, according to your God. So she knows who Elijah is. But Elijah shows up and she knows God hears him. Because when Elijah says to her, look, I know that you say you ain't got enough. But go do what the Lord said. Mind you, Elijah said to her, Thus says the Lord, There will be flour and oil in your jars, enough for all of us, is basically what he's saying to her. 
So do what God says, right? And so let's pause right here because it sounds contradictory. It almost sounds crazy that God would choose her. And maybe you felt that way. I know I have. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. Well, we've got to break that cycle that says, I don't have enough. Precious. Listen. You have what God has provided you. And based upon that, you have the ability to live generously. Your time, your finances, your gifts, your talents, you have that ability. Oh, but pastor, this sounds crazy. I know, I know. This is what we do. We live generously. That sounds good, pastor. This is what we do. Well, let me take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. It says this, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. That doesn't make sense. They were in great poverty, but they were able to abundantly give in a manner that was generous. Why? Verse 3, he says, For I bear witness that according to what? Their ability. Their ability. They started with what they had. According to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability. They were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So here's what the Bible's saying is, these people were so excited, these believers were so excited in poverty that they begged. I know it looks like we can't, but we want to. Let me add them. Why? Because they gave with a heart that was cheerful. Because their first priority was God, not their second, not their last. You might say, well, you know, Pastor, that sounds good. Yeah, I get it. It's biblical. Yeah, but you just don't understand my situation. God calls me to be wise with what I have. I'm so glad you made that point. Look at Luke chapter 2. 21 verses 1 through 4 as we close here. Luke 21 verses 1 through 4 says this, And he looked up and he saw the rich putting their gift into the treasury and saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. Watch this, but she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. This woman, the Bible says, gave all. Now, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying to you, oh, go cash your bank account, give it all. Go quit your job and quit your time with your family and your husband and you're raising your children and quit all that so that you could do all. All, give it all to the church. Give it all to the kingdom. Give it all in service. That's not what I'm saying. But what I want you to see is that this woman gave generously because she lived generously. And Jesus didn't stop her. 
Not once while he's watching her give her last two mites is Jesus going, oh my, sweetheart, please, no, take that back. Take it back. No, you need it. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us this here, but here's what we know about kingdom principles. The kingdom principles say, you sow and you'll always reap. You live generously and you'll never lack. Why? Because we're functioning according to the supplier, not our supply. <laughs> Let me close out with some things just to give you to think about. No matter what your, what your resources look like, you have more than enough. No matter what your resources look like, you have more than enough to live generously. You do. We all do. Let me give you something else to think about. Living generously comes with sacrifice. It does. Wait, you mean I got to redo my budget? Yes. Wait, you mean I have to restructure my time and my schedule? Yes. Wait, you mean that I have to sacrifice in one area to be generous in another? Yes. Absolutely. Listen, I'm not speaking to you here today from a high horse. I'm not. I understand sacrifice. I understand sacrifice. I understand what it is to give up my time. I understand what it is to give up my time with my kids. And if you look at my kids who are now adults, they understand what it is to choose ministry over basketball, over a league. We had a rule with our kids. You can do one extracurricular activity, just one. So choose it well. And sometimes even that came at a cost. They had to give that up. My son could attest to that. So yes, yes, it does come with sacrifice. But why? Because it's worth sacrificing for the kingdom. It's worth sacrificing for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Is he worthy? Do we truly love him? Do we truly want the world to meet Jesus? Let me tell you, you have no idea how big the dreams are that we have as a ministry. I dream of the day. My wife, I don't know where she has it. She has a check written out that's for a million dollars. It says a million on it. And one day, we will, we will, we will cash, we will sow that into somebody. I'm, listen to me. Listen to me. This is the type of ministry that we are. I was just having a conversation earlier with a group of people, and we were just encouraging each other. And, and you know, as I was talking and sharing with them, I was, I was reflecting. I was saying, Lord, you've called us to so, so, so much more. So much more. And so guess what we do as a ministry? Guess what we do as a people, as believers? We sow now. We don't wait for when we have it. We've already got it. We've already got it. Listen, if God says it, do it. If his, God, if his word reveals it, do it, right? And then lastly, I want to just remind you of this point. God's provision and God's character is most evident when we reflect his heart and his character through generous living. So here's, here's, here's the landing point. Where do we go from here? 
Number one, we reflect upon the one that we mimic, that we follow. First, uh, John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world, that's all of us, ladies and gentlemen, including everyone else, that he gave. He gave his only begotten son. Let me ask you something. Did God give us scraps or did he give us his best? Did God give his last or did he give his first? No, he gave more than his first. He gave his only. When God gave Christ, he emptied the bank account. He gave it all. And so our response as we leave here today, listen, it's personal. That's between you and God, between myself and God. But I want to encourage you to look to God's word because while this is a message that is teaching us about what we do as believers, that we live generously, there's a bigger picture. There's a reason why we live generously because we serve a generous God. Because no matter what we could do to give in our time and our resources and our fi- whatever it is, we got to remember that he gave more. And because he gave more, there's an endless supply. This world needs to know Christ. And it will know Christ. And one of the ways that reflects this, that reflects it is as we live generously, ladies and gentlemen.